Welcome to Split Happens, the Divorce Down Under podcast where we talk about anything and everything family law related. Welcome to another episode of Split Happens, the Divorce Down Under podcast with me, Alex, and my fellow family lawyer, Liza. Liza, today we want to talk about appeals. So, it's all over. Or is it? You think your court case has run its course? You think the case has been decided by the judge? But what happens if you think, or the other person thinks, the court's got it wrong? So, the very first thing that we look at is um, whether or not uh, there are reasons for that um, decision. And... It's always an idea to get legal advice before you even contemplate um, lodging an appeal. Appeals, that's basically the process where you're not happy with that decision made by the judge and then you're asking the court again to review that decision. So it's it's not very common um, to have a family law appeal, although it is the case that a lot of, a lot of appeals are successful but it's not very common because there's a lot of steps and a lot of hurdles to get through. And a lot of expense as well, yeah. as with all of these processes. But this is a particularly pointy one for cost, isn't it? It is. Um, this is this is a jurisdiction where they are not afraid to make cost orders and they will make them. So um, it's always proceed with care and make sure you get that legal advice first. But one of the things that you need to really be conscious of when you're thinking about an appeal is whether or not the judge got it wrong. It's not a chance to have a rehearing on the evidence. It's not a chance to have, um, you know, just, a, oh, I'm not happy with that decision. We need to, you need to make sure that the judge actually got it wrong. Um, and one of the problems with family law appeals is that family law judgments are discretionary, which means that unlike other areas of law, there's a decision that a court can make which is in the court's own opinion based on their experience and based on their views on things and based on the evidence that they hear and it's it's a very subjective um, decision-making process. So so when we're sort of saying where the judge has got it wrong in terms of an appeal, it's not just wrong. It's so far outside of that discretionary range that it is palpably wrong. It's completely wrong. That's right. Rather than just... You know, two judges might come up with slightly different decisions around hearing the same facts, mm. neither one of which are wrong. That's right. You might have a case where um, you are awarded 55% of the property pool and you might be told, oh, well, no, it's uh, it might go to an appeal and um, the six, the that court of appeal might think that 60% is probably more likely. But it may not necessarily be the case that that judge was wrong. Because no, it no, might I, still be mm-hmm. within that range, because it is within that that discretion of that judge. Yeah, I've certainly read appeals where you know the superior court, the court of appeal, in the case has decided. Look, we think it should have been a slightly higher, but the judge's award is actually within the range that we think would be reasonable. So we're not going to overturn it. Another way of looking at it, it's whether or not the judge has actually applied the law correctly. So if the judge has used an, an out of date law, or the law was just completely incorrect. Um, and interpreted that law in the wrong way, then that would necessarily that might in in fact lead to a, a successful appeal. 
some of those sound like they are very legalistic questions, which brings you back to your very first point, which is for an appeal, it's a serious process. Go and get you know, it's particular advice from somebody in family law who works in that zone. Mm. You don't want to be going to a generalist. You need to be speaking to somebody who practices all the time in family law and having them look at it very quickly because yeah, time frames. There are. You've only got 28 days to appeal the decision of the court. Um, so don't leave it getting your advice to the 27th day. No, that's right. And if you're um, wanting to appeal, well, it's not, we don't call it appeal the decision of a, a registrar. So say, for example, you might have some hearings and things along the way that you're not happy with. Um, you will have only 21 days to review that decision of that registrar. So it's really important that you know you're aware of those timeframes. Um, and when you review the decision of a registrar, mm. That's not the same sort of process as an appeal. That's what we call a hearing de novo. And um, the, the court will, a judge will usually consider and reconsider the evidence and re- reconsider what was available to that registrar at the time of having, um, of having that, of making that decision in the first place. So say, for example, you have um, some, even consent orders, for example, they can be reviewed within a specific time frame. Yeah, uh, and that's obviously a major part what registrars do for the court is to look at those applications. People have filed, say, hey, can you make these orders for me without anybody going to court? Yeah. They, they do refuse them sometimes. They do. And sometimes, for example, if it's the case that there was a, a severe um, failure to disclose or there were incorrect facts within that application form, that may be sufficient to warrant what we call a, a miscarriage of justice and therefore have me- meant that... the. Re- the registrar that was deciding whether or not to make those orders or not um, has been led into error and has been, um, you know, taken down the wrong path and it wasn't on on the real facts. It was never open for that registrar to have said that, you know, that the division was just and equitable or or in the best interest of the child or whatever the the issue is. So there are ways that the um, registrar can, in fact... um, that you can actually overturn a registrar's decision. Yep. But as far as the judges are concerned, when we're talking about an appeal process, um, there are a, there's a lot of things that you need to be doing if you're considering an appeal. And the very first thing that you need to be thinking of is, is we need to get a copy of that transcript. Yes, that's absolutely vital with these things because if a decision has been delivered, you know, usually orally, if, if these extempore decisions at least, where they're made very quickly then the, the judge will have gone through their reasons for making those decisions. I had a matter very recently where the judge went through, I think quite carefully, all of the factual matrices, but she seemed to go through them around the houses until she finally got to an outcome that was a little bit suboptimal, but certainly was within the range. And so the prospects for an appeal were pretty poor, but you would certainly need to have a proper transcript of that to be able to dissect it and say, hey, maybe she's taken herself off in the wrong path here or he, or if it's a male judge. That's right. And so you, you need that transcript to be able to identify the grounds of appeal um, that you need to put forward in part, as part of your notice of appeal. So um, within 28 days, you have to file what's called a notice of appeal um, and you have to serve that on any other party that is affected by those proposed that, that proposed appeal. Now, if you're outside of that 28-day ta- time frame, you can ask for an extension um, but you would need to file um, a further ap- another application. 
basically um, seeking for permission to file a late appeal. That's right. And that's not going to be readily given, isn't it, unless it's a really obvious you know, case that you've got to run before the, the court that's going to be hearing the appeal. And also, you've got proper reason for the delay. Yeah, you need to explain all that in an affidavit and you need to have that draft notice of appeal ready to go. Um, sometimes it might be that there's a delay in a transcript or there might be a delay in in getting access to particular documents or something has gone wrong. Um, they're the sorts of situations where you'd probably want to seek an extension of time and it's most likely going to be granted when it's something more procedurally um, procedurally based. So, um, so, so what would be in my, you know, the notice of appeal, which is the form that we have to file, and we've got to file that within 28 days of the order being made. Yep. So what is, what's that typically going to contain? That's going to set, the notice of appeal itself is a form that sets out the grounds. And so some of the grounds might be that, that the judge failed to properly consider some of the evidence, um, failed to give procedural fairness, there was a denial of natural justice, inadequate reasons, um, the decision was plainly wrong. They're the sorts of common grounds for appeal. Now, in addition to that notice of appeal, you need to file what's called an appeal, um, an appeal index, a draft index to the appeal books. Which won't mean anything to the non-lawyers. So it won't break it down. But there is a lot of this is what we say. There's a lot of stuff that's to be done really quickly. So after a decision has been has been handed down, you have very very little time to get copies of the transcripts, getting all your documents together. So that index you're going to need to know. You don't have to actually prepare that appeal book and serve and file and serve that appeal book at any point um, in that in that immediate first twenty eight days. Um, but what you need um, within 28 days of filing that notice of appeal, you need to at least have an index to your appeal book. So you kind of need to know it's got to be need to be like you know 90% done. Yeah. Now I, I gather the rules extend to this far about timing being very important with appeals. So if you don't file your index within the 28 days after filing your appeal, the courts will take it that your appeal has been abandoned. They they can they they can still there are. There is some leeway there, um, but you need to have good reason why this isn't all ready to go. And within those appeal books, that's where you need to put out all put in all the evidence that was considered at the trial. So, mm. if there are affidavits, um, there might be valuation reports, there might be family reports, there might, um, and you'll need to have all the exhibits that were tendered. Um, so you make sure that if you don't have copies of those that were tendered at trial, then that's going to be a, that could be a problem because you need to have those documents um, to be included in the appeal books. You need to have the the judgment in the appeal book. You need to have the reasons um, and obviously the transcript. So you've got to get onto this pretty quickly. From the time if the order comes Straight out away. today, yep. you read it, and you think, oh no, no, that's wrong, and that's your visceral instinct. Go and see your solicitor. Your solicitor will probably then say, right, this is serious enough. We need to engage a barrister pretty quickly. Yep. They should then deliver an opinion on your prospects of an appeal before you go throwing many tens of thousands of dollars at it. Yeah, and that you're under a very tight tight time clock here, mm. and it's a difficult thing I think generally speaking for a self represented person to do. They certainly can do it, but they'll have to be very diligent in following the rules and the procedures and thinking about what is an appeal, what isn't an appeal. When I read the decisions handed down, most of the, most of the time where there is a self rep, a lot of the grounds of appeal are dismissed because they're not actually grounds of appeal. Yep. They're just somebody who's unhappy with the outcome. That's right. And that's a distinction. It has to be you know, wrong in law, um, a mistaken you know, fact, something of that nature. As you say, I mean, a miscarriage of natural justice. 
A lot of barristers will only charge a few thousand, like somewhere between, you know, a few thousand dollars or so to give you that advice anyway. And I'm not going to speak for all of them because there's going to be different matters and more more complex cases are going to require um, a higher fee. But for the most part, you know, you're better off putting that, you know, spending $5,000, $10,000 getting that opinion first before because it's going to cost you a hell of a lot more. And if you lose that appeal, um, it's it's a fair chance that you are going to have to pay the other side's legal costs as well. As well as your own, yeah. Yep. I mean, I, I was just looking the other day because, you know, where are we now? We're almost at the end of the financial year, mm. which means inevitably that the government's going to increase its uh, fees for family yep. law. Currently, if, if where are we today? We're, we're sort of toward the end of June now in, in 2023, and the current fee for a notice of appeal is 1500 bucks. That's yep. just what you pay the court. Yep. That's going up to $1,605 from the mm. 1st of July. So... Even before you start paying your lawyers, you've got to pay the court you know, a grand and a half just to start the appeal process. And you won't get that back. That's gone for good. No, that's right. So there's um, there's so many considerations to be had and it's really important that you um, that you actually get onto it. I always like to say to someone, you know, it really has to be within that fir- those first seven days mm. is when it's really crucial that we start um, getting that sort of thing organised. The other thing, the other little tip is that when you're going through a trial, sometimes you can actually ask for a transcript at the time. If you think that there's, if there's a lot of hotly contested issues, hotly contested facts, and that this case is going to require a determination of facts, a lot of finding of particular facts, Mm. um, it's always an idea to say, okay, right, well, at the time of the trial, you order the, you say, I'm going to order a transcript. And then if, you know, obviously... Transcripts aren't necessarily the cheapest things, but if there's a strong chance that you're not going to be happy with the result anyway, a lot of people do already know that that the you know what their whether their backs are against the wall, so to speak, um, with particular cases, and you usually know by day one of your trial how you're faring because judges these days will often give a fair bit of the game away. Oh yeah, um, the preliminary view, preliminary the dreaded views. preliminary view. So it's an idea to say, okay, right, well, I might as well start ordering this transcript today. And, and because, of course, the more urgent that you need the tra- the, uh, that transcript, the more, the less amount of time, I should say, that you give the transcript office time to produce that transcript, the more expensive it's going to be for you to get that transcript. Yeah. Well, that's right. They, I mean, it's just, I think they just move them across to a different tra- uh, transcript service these mm. days. It used to be off script. It's now VIQ. But... To cut a long story short, if you're in trial for two days, say maybe a typical family law case might run for two days, and you need to get the transcript for those two days' worth of, of appearances before the court, you, you're looking at several thousands of dollars to yep. get that done quickly. Yeah. I mean, you, you know, getting it done within a couple of days will cost you, you know, maybe twice as much as getting it within 10 days, but you run the risk of not being able to get your appeal filed unless you get it done quickly, so... Again, you know, an appeal is definitely something that can be worth your while where we are talking about significant and substantial amounts of money that should perhaps have been awarded elsewhere or alternatively arrangements for children that are wildly against what you perceive to be their best interest and you've got a legal reason for saying so. So getting advice early about your prospects will be very important and that's an expensive process in itself. But better to get it there and say, I don't really have grounds for an appeal. You may spend a few thousand dollars, but at least you haven't exposed yourself to tens of thousands of dollars of other people's costs as well. 
Arban Legal is proud to sponsor Split Happens. You'll be in safe hands with Arban Legal. For all your family law needs, call us on 07-5562-0444 or visit our website at arbanlegal.com.au. Okay, so we filed our notice of appeal and we've served that within a fortnight of filing it. Then, yep. we've, then we've done our index. What happens in terms of the case then for the appeal? Because there's, there's one thing I, I was going to mention, um, which is, of course, that just because you're appealing an order doesn't mean that the order itself isn't valid. No, that's right. So what you probably um, need to make sure is that if you're wanting a stay of that order, meaning that those orders are suspended or you don't have to comply with those orders, you actually need to go back to that same judge and make that application for a stay and say, which is obviously it's a very difficult sort of process because you you have to basically stand there before the judge and say, judge, I think you've got it wrong mm. and I'm appealing you, and but pretty please, can you not make me have to comply with these orders in the meantime? That's yeah. essentially what you're doing. So You're, you're asking for the author to you know, say, say, actually, I, I won't make these orders effective until somebody's decided whether I was right or wrong. But you've got to do it. It's a separate process. Yeah, so Otherwise, that's a, the orders could just be implemented. Yeah, so that's an application and proceeding and an affidavit saying why um, that you, you're seeking that stay of that order. Okay. And sometimes, sometimes um, the, one of the best things to say in relation to a stay application is that the, uh, is that the appeal will be futile if the stay is not granted, meaning that you know, there'll Ouch. be no point, yeah, yeah. If, if because it might be that um, there's an order that says within seven days that you're to transfer <laughs> your all your life savings and all of your property to um, the so wife. Give the children up for medical experiments, that sort of thing. Yeah, and, and it might be a little seven-day thing. That's the other thing I want to just digress and talk about very quickly is that don't be when you're drafting your orders, always make sure that when you're drafting, that you try and give them give parties more than 21 days because that's the minimum time to review a decision of a registrar. So just re- be mindful of that because it's a little trick that I've often seen. People are very keen to say, oh, well, I want it transferred within seven days mm-hmm. and I want, you know, you don't want to have to do that and then <laughs> and then fine, and then, and then they go, oh, well, no, it's all got to come back and it, it's messy, it's complicated. But anyway... Um, I was, yeah, just, I was just imagining a horrific situation when you, you you applied for a stay because you're appealing some orders and the, and the judge refuses your application for stay, so you appeal against their refusal for the stay. Yeah. And then you have to apply for another stay. of the. Yeah. I mean, at, at, at some point that ends. It does. Of course. <laughs> but One of those recurrent mirror things. Yeah. Mm. All right, so anyway. we move along. In Let's say that we, we prevail and we, we've got our stay so that the actual orders that we're appealing against, then they're currently just held in abeyance. Yep. Next step in the appeal is a procedural hearing, there'll I think. Be, yep. There'll what, be what's, some, what does that deal with? So that'll just be making – it's really just compliance, making sure right, that all the – Right, going sh- back to that appeal book thing you were talking yep. about. And so um, usually that's where parties will have um, – there'll be directions about the appeal books – um, and if they haven't already been prepared and served, and there'll be responses and things like that, so that are necessary from the other parties that are affected by the, the proposed appeal. Right. Um, and but it's not like your usual case um, where you've got to go and get new evidence because no, it's not an opportunity. You don't go off and get new evidence. You're not saying, 
oh, I need more affidavits. This is all done on it's the not material. what it appeals about, is it? It's about the case that was heard. Yeah, was that so decided correctly? So your lawyer is going to be making de- um, submissions on what's already been filed and what's already been prepared. And all you're doing with these appeal books is putting it all together in a nice bundle for the judge to say to go through it and go, oh, yeah, okay, I can see where, where the judge got it wrong. Sounds simple. It does sound simple, but doesn't it? But it's not it? easy. <laughs> no. I've used that expression before. Uh, okay, so then we have... Uh, we have a procedural hearing, yeah, and then we we move on and we get the appeal book finalised and we get the transcript with that and that all gets filed and served. Yep. And again, you know the timeframes kick in here, so if you don't get these things done, you will potentially lose your right to an appeal. That's right. So you cool. can't you can't be um, delaying things because um, the courts are interested in getting this in and out as quickly as possible. Yeah. Because ultimately. Um, the the issues that were the subject of the underlying trial are still um, alive. And so if, if we're talking about, um, a, it might be a, a parenting matter and it might be about the care and, custody, uh, care and control of a child, um, you know, the court's not going to want to have that in the court list hanging about waiting to see what's going to happen. Um, and so a lot of the time these appeals, they'll eventually, they'll, you know, the appeal, the time that is taken um, to actually process these appeals is, is meant to be a lot quicker than the time that, you know, the, the case preparation for your ultimate trial. Right. So it, it's supposed to be a, an abridged process because we need to move on with our lives and, and we can't yep. endlessly <coughs> litigate. It's not a jarndice and jarndice no. house situation. So, all right, we've got our appeal books lodged uh, with the yep. transcripts. The next thing, I suppose, is a is a very legalistic thing that needs to occur, which is the preparation of, of legal argument. Yep. And usually that's going to be undertaken by counsel, under the word for barrister, which yep. it used to be, of course. Yep. So you've got to do a summary of argument and have your list of authorities and all that sort of stuff, and that has to be... And by list of um, authorities, we mean cases, cases that you're relying upon. Yep. yep. Or indeed sections of yep. the Act. Yep. So there's... Um, and a lot of the time, um, the, the barrister will, in fact... Um, do all that and and we'll serve that and there'll be a lot of discussion and argy-bargy between um, the opposing counsel and that often happens um, without, you know, without there being any client involvement. It's more sort of behind the scenes so, yep. that, so that they can – because I, I, what happens is when you're at the appeal stage, a lot of the facts and it's more about an argument about the law, not an argument about the facts. It's not about who did what. It's more about – what what is the interpretation of this particular um, piece of legislation, or what is the interpretation of of this section or this uh, of this case of this precedent? So, and how is it to be apl- applied as opposed to okay, well, this is what um, when you're at a trial level where, where your parties are arguing over who made the larger contribution. Mm. So it's not necessarily about who made the larger contribution. It's about um, deter- like about the the law that's applied in determining. Yeah, what pathway has the judge followed in order to come to the outcome? And then was that pathway legitimate? Did it, was it made in reference to the right parts of the law? Yeah, yeah, there'll be a bit of, um, you know, discussion between opposing counsel saying, no, 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 you meant to do it this way and they're meant to have considered it in this particular order or or whatever the case may be. So, yeah, and this goes back to the old adage about, you know, you put 10 lawyers in a room, you're going to get 10 different opinions. So you may end up 
engaging a different barrister to run your appeal that ran the trial. And That's sometimes right. that can be quite helpful yeah. because you get a completely objective pair of eyes over it and they might pick up on something that probably should have been put in the case and say, look, you probably haven't got very far to go with the appeal. Whereas the other barrister may be feeling a little slighted or that their arguments weren't accepted. I don't know. Yep. Um, but the going back to the preparation for the arguments then, so I understand that a lot of people bring appeals with kind of a shotgun approach in their notice of intention, to, their notice of appeal. And they might have a, a raft of sort of grounds of appeal that we were talking about. Mm. That's the opportunity. If you're going to drop one of those limbs, when you're, you've looked at it much more carefully by this stage, you're preparing the, uh, the arguments to support the appeal. That's an opportunity for you then. So I think it's the final opportunity for you as the appellant, the person bringing the appeal, to drop one of those grounds, if, if you've got something which is clearly going to go nowhere, it's going to cause you a risk of costs. So you narrow down your arguments to your best arguments and you, you kind of should probably abandon anything which is very wishy-washy. Well, that's, that's the advice I was always given. When I was at the bar, um, a silk in my chambers would say to me all the time um, when we were drafting the grounds of appeal, um, and he would say, he'd say, well, okay, is this ground going to win? Are you going to get up on this? And I'd say, oh, I don't know, maybe, might. I said, if if this happens and if that happens, he said, well, it's, it's a yes or no, is it going to win? Are you going to get up on it? And I'd be like, um, maybe not. Well, he said, well, abandon it. He said, don't waste the court's time with useless arguments that are wishy-washy and, and all it does is water down the, the chances of the other appeal points. If He said, if you've got a few good appeal points... Run yep. them and win them. Stick with the ones which are most likely yep. to be achievable and just abandon the, the poor stuff, otherwise you're running up costs and you're putting yourself in the exposure of costs and you're annoying the court. Okay, so we filed our summary arguments and then there is, I think we do that about a, a month out from the appeal and then the respondent has about three weeks then to put their yep. arguments in. And then what we have is the appeal hearing itself. Now, how does that usually go? Okay, so it's based off, um, so you've got your summary of argument in and mm -hmm. usually the court has pre-read everything. Yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> it can go two ways. Um, one way is that the, and this is the way that you don't necessarily want it to go because people think that, oh, my barrister didn't get to say anything and that mm. is actually, the, that, it, that means that they're on site, that the, the court well, usually means that the court is actually on side with you because they're not going to down you if they haven't heard from you. Um, because given it's an all really in the written material. It's all in the written material. Yeah. And so um, in most of the appeals that I've run, it's all it's been before three judges. Um, and in that, scary. Well, sometimes there's usually one on your side, but then you don't know if they're actually on your side or you not. You don't know which one. You and don't if, know. Yeah, you sort right. of, you try, you, you're sitting there trying to, um, you know, not... Um, batter your eyelashes at them or anything like that. But it's it's sort of you sort of <laughs> I don't give think this look. Very far. <laughs> you try and you try and give them this sort of look as if to say, Oh, please go easy on me. I'm you know, I'm just a humble barrister here trying to do my doing my best. The case is the case. The case is what it is. Um, you know, but yeah, often you'll just get hammered with questions. What if this happened and what if that happened and what do you what is what do you say to this and what do you say to that? And so most of the time in an appeal, you're just answering questions from the bench because a lot of the time they have read it. And they'll have read the opposition material, the respondent's right. material. So we have an appellant, which is you if you're running the yep. appeal, and the respondent if you're the other party. 
and yeah. you'll be expected to be across their arguments too. That's right. To be able to talk to, well, why shouldn't I accept Mr. Mr. Smith's argument around that? That's exactly what happens. Um, and and when when you're getting hammered with those sorts of questions, um, it often indicates that they're that they may be against you um, because they're not. If they're already on your side, they're not going to ask. They, the words, the magic words that I always um, am looking out for when I'm appearing in court is, I don't need to hear from you, which means I understand your case, I understand everything you've got to say, I understand your position, um, it's yeah. perfectly clear, but I d- I'm not following what they've got to say, so they've got to get up and you know the guns yeah. are pointed so right at them. sometimes speaking less is actually much to your benefit. Well, people do say I say it best when I say nothing at all, so, uh-huh. you know. Sounds familiar. Yeah. Um, all right. So we have the appeal hearing that's run before usually our three yep. judges and they've asked questions of the barristers concerned or, I mean, if you're self-represented, they'll be asking them of you, so be careful about that. I always recommend getting legal advice before you enter into an appeal. It's, it's a challenging area. And then what happens at the end of the hearing? They say, all right, well, thanks very much. They'll usually reserve. Right, which means... Very, which means that they'll go away and think about it. Yep. And then one, part, one of the judges will no, most likely... Um, draft the judgment yep. and there'll be maybe some commentary or maybe some feedback from the other judges um, as to whether or not they agree or where there's po- any points of difference. So it's, but it's quite off, it's quite typical for a case to be heard by three judges. One yep. judge writes, writes the judgment, the other one says, I agree with Bob, the other yep. one goes, I agree with Bob too. Yep. So, Sorry, um, Judge Bob. Yeah, Judge Bob. Judge, yeah, anyway. Um, yeah, so then they'll go away and... That could be a matter of weeks. It can be a matter of months. Um, what I always recommend is do not poke the bear. Mm-hmm. Um, if the judge is busy writing its writing their judgments, um, then do not try and contact them and say, "Hey, where's this at?" Because obviously they're thinking about things, and you don't want them to think that you're being rather impatient. And yeah, why are you, know, you sweating if you've got such a good case? Yeah. <laughs> but there's something I need to be rethinking about here. So and then that, that fateful day comes when the court says, okay, we've got an outcome for you. Yep. Here's the judgment. Yep. Are they likely to bring you back into court for that? Oh, it depends. Sometimes Some, sometimes they will, sometimes they won't. Yeah. Um, but the, the, ultimately the decision is delivered and it's a written judgment. It's usually a written judgment. and um, That's on your appeal. That's right. And What might be the outcomes then? What are, you, so, what are the options so overall? So you can either have a different outcome as in say for example it was a property settlement case and um the, these judges have said right well i'm going to award 70 percent to the husband not 60 percent." so mm-hmm. there you go it's a different outcome they might order a rehearing before on, a different judge before, though, a, different, before a different judge usually yep it wouldn't be a good form to go in front of the no. same judge who's just had their dead original decision no. overturned they'd be grinding their so teeth a rehearing um, and with some directions for, say, for example, it might be, yep, no more new evidence. It might be a case mm, of okay. sometimes they can do that, but sometimes they will say, yeah, okay, new new evidence. But it might be that because we've got to bear in mind the costs involved in these things. So you could yeah. you could imagine you've just spent tens of thousands on a trial to then get a judgment, go off to an appeal, and then you get told, oh no, you've got to go back to court again. You got to go and have your trial all over again. So some of the time, sometimes um, there'll be that. It, it depends on the type of matter, but sometimes they'll say, "Well, you can use the same evidence. You don't have to go and prepare 
additional affidavit material and things like that. So, But you still have to run that trial gauntlet again in terms of being cross-examined um, and which is always tricky. Um, I would normally recommend in, in most of my cases that unless the circumstances require it, that you have the Court of Appeal make that new decision rather than... Um, where actually, possible. Uh, where possible. Mm. Because you're going to have no doubt there'll be a transcript of what you said in evidence on the first time and you may slip up on the second time and there'll be some inconsistencies in that evidence and yeah. it, it doesn't like usually... Swimming through treacle. Uh, look, I mean, we don't have time to sort of yep. go through all of the nuances of an appeal process, but I, I hopefully the takeaway from this is appeals are very time sensitive. You can't waste any time if you're going to appeal a judgment and they potentially can be very expensive. So make sure that you get early legal advice about your prospects and be realistic about it too. If you're going to run an appeal, then you will spend tens of thousands of dollars in doing that typically. And if you get it wrong, you are likely to have to pay not only your own legal costs, but the other sides too. Now, definitely there are plenty of opportunities um, to have decisions reviewed by courts of appeal, but get advice, get it early uh, and act on that quickly as well. And be prepared. You know, not everything's winnable. You may have to drop some of those points as you go along the way. You might think that terrible decision um, ought to be overturned, but your lawyers may have a very different view that if the pathway has been followed correctly, you might just not like the outcome. So it's not sour grapes, is it? It's incorrect reasoning. That's the bigger problem. Uh, well, thank you very much, Liza. I think that probably covers us off for things to do with appeal today. If you've got any questions about um, prospects of an appeal in your own matter, then don't hang around um, waiting for a podcast to come out to talk about it. Get on to your family lawyer, lawyer whether it's uh, Liza, myself, or, or your own family lawyer. And uh, we look forward to hearing from any comments that you may have. Thanks very much. Thanks for listening to Split Happens, the Divorce Down Under podcast. If you want to hear more of our episodes, you'll find us wherever you find your podcasts on all good platforms.